If you have a Bible nearby, we're going to be in Luke chapter 4. Let's thank John for putting that set together. Um, that new song is not a bad song. Uh, it's, it's not bad. I think it'll, I think we'll, I think we'll be all right. As I said at the beginning, we are in the first, uh, well, Lent began on Wednesday, so this is the first Sunday of Lent, and we'll spend the next several weeks uh, journeying toward Easter together, and uh, Lent is modeled after Jesus' 40-day fast in the desert, and so that passage of Scripture is, is a part of what we kind of have, that's kind of the mindset we have. He withdrew and uh, went into the desert for a 40-day period of time. And so we withdraw a little bit from our normal, everyday lives. And even just our normal trajectory as a, as a church, we change all our rhythms, just like he changed uh, his rhythms. We go, we are following him into the desert. Uh, in a sense, we're kind of sitting with him for 40 days. He's fasting and praying, we are fasting and praying, and we are learning together as we kind of set our faces and our trajectory toward Easter. And so last week I, I, I talked to, uh, all, about, all about all this stuff, and so kind of combining that desert fast idea with uh, what we find in Luke 9.23, which I'll read it to you real quick. This kind of captures the spirit of Lent. Jesus uh, says, if anyone would come after me... Meaning, if anyone wants to, uh, wants to be with me and become like me, if anyone wants to, uh, if you want to be a part of my life, then I'm inviting you into it. Uh, but you, you, can't, you can't come just like any old way. Uh, but here, here's all that it takes. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and then just follow me. Deny self, take up your cross daily, follow me. That's the spirit of Lent. We drag that into the forty days in the desert, and those are those are kind of that kind of gets us in the in the mindset. And the songs we've been singing this morning get us in the mindset. We're thinking about the cross. We're thinking about sin. We're thinking about his sacrifice for us. We're thinking about his death and his burial and his resurrection and his uh, return that is to come. It's it's all of it kind of packed into one thing. Um, but Lent Lent has a very introspective tone to it. It's a lot of self-examination. It's a lot of looking, looking in the mirror at your heart and your mind and your uh, like the outworkings of all that into even into behaviors. And we're just we're just looking at our lives and we're saying, um, God, what do you want to do in my life? If I'm going to go sit with Jesus in the desert for 40 days, I should come back differently than I went into it. So let's let's get to work. That's what Lent helps us do. And so what I want to do over the next three Sundays is I want, to, I want to go into the text where he's in the desert. And I want to look at how he models for us what it means to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow, uh, and follow after God. Jesus is not, so, he's not the kind of teacher who just tells you to go, you know, he just tells you information and then sends you on your way. Uh, he's a, he's a coach. He's a developer. He's a, he's a, he's all these kinds of things, but, but he's also a model for that stuff. He's, he says, I'm going to, I'm going to invite you into something and I'm going to show you what it looks like. 
And in this text, we get to see what, what he's talking about when he says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. He shows us uh, right here. And so we're going to spend a little time today and next week and the next week looking at this text. So let's read it together. It's in Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their, and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said... You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So the enemy comes at Jesus with three different things. And so we're going to look at one each week. So today we're going to focus on verses 3 and 4, kind of where, where the enemy starts off. So if you're a note taker, there'll be three points to all these sermons. There'll be... Deny himself, take up his cross daily, follow me. So let's start off with the denial of self. Look again at verse 3. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Okay, so let's remind ourselves of a couple of things. One, he has not eaten anything in 40 days. All right? The, the, the verse says that he was hungry. It's probably a great, huge understatement. He was probably very, very hungry. Now, he's out in the wilderness. There are stones everywhere. And uh, he's not only, he's obviously hungry, but he can, he can do this. This is like a real thing he could do. Like it would be within his power to take a stone and turn it into a big old beautiful loaf of bread. Right? He, can, he can do that. He spoke the universe into existence with just his words. He can handle this right here. So this is not an impossible temptation. This is thing, something he could actually do. Um, and I just want to point out that, like, he uses bread. You know, bread's awesome, right? Like, he, he, he didn't, like, come and bring him something disgusting to turn it into. He didn't say, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into a big old plate of liver and onions. You know, like, it was like, no, bread. Like, what do you, what do you want when you're hungry? What, is the, what do they bring you at the best restaurants in the world when you sit down? Bread or tortilla chips. I, I could go either, either, either way, even, even Stephen, but... Um, so the, so the, the enemy, he's, he's a dirty one, right? He's going to start off with like this easy, like fish in a barrel kind of temptation. And then look at verse four. Jesus says, this is his, his 
refusal. Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread by bread alone. That is a, uh, instead of just saying no, he quotes the Old Testament at him, which we'll get at in a second. But this is his, his refusal. This is what self-denial looks like. It, it's us saying, in this moment, I would love to have bread, but I'm going to say no to me. N.T. Wright translates translate this, he says, it, uh, he's basically saying, it takes more than bread to keep you alive. That's what he's saying. It takes more than bread to keep you alive. At the heart of, of self-denial, at the heart of this idea of you must deny yourself, is this idea of, of, of refusal. This, it is a saying, of, it is saying no to you and what you want. And so Jesus is saying, if you want to come after me, you've got to be willing to refuse some things, beginning with the, the, the things that originate within, within your own body within your own will, within your own like busted, broken self, is this idea of refusal. And so we see him here modeling self-denial. Um, and basically he does, he does kind of two things uh, kind of at once that I want to highlight in terms of, of denial of self. He, um, he refuses to take control of the situation, and he refuses to, to let his physical desires rule over him. In this first temptation, he says, I will not take control of the situation, even though I could. And I will, let, I will not let my body, my physical desires, rule me. I will rule over them. Let me unpack both of those for a minute. The first thing, refusing to take control. Can we just all agree, like all hands in the middle, that con- control is awesome? Like, it is, it's amazing to be in control of something. I'm not talking about like... The weirdo, like, I like to control people kind of thing. I'm not talking about that. I just mean, like, in general, in life, when you're kind of like, you're at the helm of your life. You're, everything's going like you want it to. You're, there's no, no wild cards. Nothing's coming at you from left field. Everything's in control. If something happens, you can handle it. Like, it's awesome. And the way that I know it's awesome is by the way I lose my mind when I lose control. You know, when something happens that I cannot control anymore and I'm just like, it, it's just, it's terrible. Am I the only one? No, it's, it's awful. We love to be in control of things, um, and we kind of like weird out whenever we are out of control. A lot of our fears and anxieties get stirred up when we encounter things that we can't control. And our mind, So you're, you encounter something you can't control, fear and anxiety goes, it spikes a little bit. And then you start to run all these scenarios. We go to the worst end of the spectrum first. It's terrible, but it's such a common, it's like a common part of the human experience. We all struggle with it. And, and it's so easy in life to just, I, I just like, I'm just, I'm going to take the bull by the horns. I'm going to handle this my way. I'm going to maintain control. I'm going to, I'm going to get control. And, and that way my worst fears and anxieties won't come true. Or if they do, at least I contributed to it. And I can, I kind of know how to process that in my head. So we either want to take control or we um, have lost control. We try to regain it and we're kind of, it's, it's, it just it stirs up all this weird stuff inside of us. Now, I'm not saying that, um, that we play zero role in how our lives play out. 
I don't think that, that the Bible describes a life where we just, we just sit back and God does everything and we do nothing. Um, I also don't think it's a life where we do everything and God does nothing. There, there seems to be this partnership that God has with us. Where it's a mixture of our effort and, and his grace that are working together and his power. And, and it's working together in our lives. Or he, like, so we're, we're together in this. I'm talking about the, the kind of control where we like elbow him out of the way. And we're like, no, 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 you're not, you're not a part of this. You know? it's, the, it's like the opposite of Jesus take the wheel. The song? Yeah. No? Jesus take the wheel is like, it's like, oh, I, this, everything's so hard and everything's so crazy. I, I can't deal with it anymore. Jesus, you take the wheel for a while. This is the opposite of that. This is like, Jesus, I don't think you're doing a very good job. And so I'm going to take the wheel back from you. That is, that is the, the problem that we struggle with is elbowing him out of the way. I see it. I, I have experienced it so much in my own life. I see it in other people's lives. Um, when I was, uh, when I graduated from college, I graduated in May. I worked a summer at Centrifuge in Panama City Beach with all my best friends doing youth ministry and leading worship. It was a terrible summer. I was, it was a lot of suffering. Um, I was amazing. And during that time, I was supposed to get all my ducks in a row to go to seminary, and I got so caught up with camp that I didn't. So I returned back to Baton Rouge, uh, really tan, uh, but with no plans for my life. And so um, I, I knew I was going to go to seminary, but it was too late. So I started substitute teaching, trying to figure out some things. But I got into this relationship, and uh, just, you know, I was 23, and like, like everyone who, who gets into a relationship right out of college, you're just assuming, I guess this is how, how marriage works because that's what everyone had always told me. And so kind of just got swept up in that season of life and like getting married and all this kind of stuff. And I was talking to someone who, um, is kind of, uh, one of those really logical people in, in my life. And he was like, you can't get married to this person because you don't make any money. You need money. You're talking two sets of car insurance. You're talking about twice as much uh, food as you're paying for right now. You're talking about this and this and this and this. And I'm like, oh, man, you're right. I don't have any money. My life can't go forward in this area until then. And so um, around that time, as I had been substitute teaching, I get a phone call and with a job offer to go and teach at, at the high school as the assistant band director. And so... I was like, man, that's, that's awesome. I, I don't have money. I need money. Here's money. Like I always joke about like the, the, the infamous, like first paycheck you get that has a comma in it. You know, like I was like, I can have a comma in my paycheck. Finally, you know, it's just amazing. And, um, and so I like went in and interviewed and did all the paperwork and signed on and, um, took the job, started the job, loved it. Never prayed about it though. Like it wasn't a, it wasn't one of those things where I was like, okay, well, I'm going to need, I'm going to need some time to fast and to pray and really see if, is this what God wants for me or does he have something else? I just saw an opportunity to, to make the money that I thought I needed in order to continue with my life. And so I just elbowed the Lord out of the way and said, I'm going to take this job. And 
you would think that the story would then become like, yeah, it was the worst year of my life and I regretted it every second. No, it was actually the opposite of that. It was some of the, I taught that, that year and the next year, it was some of the best time of my life. Um, I, I loved it. Some of the most important people in the world to me were a part of that, those two years in my life. Um, but I was thinking about this on the way in. I was like, there should be a downside to this story somewhere, right? And the Lord reminded me, he said, you know, you almost, you almost quit ministry because you love that job so much. I was like, oh yeah. And I had kind of forgotten about this, but I I was so, I was enjoying that whole situation so much in terms of teaching, not the relationship as a whole thing. In terms of teaching, I almost like, you know what, maybe I'm not supposed to do the ministry thing. Maybe this is my ministry here. And I believe teaching is a ministry, don't get me wrong. But for my trajectory of life, I, I almost said, said no to the future in regard to that kind of ministry and almost just stayed there teaching. And I would have been happy and fulfilled and I would have had a ministry. I think God would have blessed all that. But when I think about where, where my life went from there, into seminary, through the college ministry, into planning a church, into joining with this church, I mean, it, it's weird for me to think that how pivotal that was that this choice for me to go into teach just to make the money just so I could maybe get married just to take control that that almost put my life on such a different pathway and I didn't even pray about it I just took control that's the opposite of self-denial and yet I have experienced, I could tell you 10 more stories where I've done the same thing. And I've, I've been in ministry long enough and walked through things with people where I see it all the time where, where people are, are constantly struggling with this idea of instead of relinquishing control, they are like, they're holding onto it so tightly. I've seen it in relationships. Of course, the one I just talked about, which by the way, spoiler alert, we didn't get married. Um, I've seen it in relationships where we're, there'd be a Christian who will start to date someone who is not a Christian. Like, yeah, but they're so nice. They're so this, they could be, they'd be a great Christian, you know, or maybe they're a Christian, but they're not really walking with the Lord. And, and there, there's just this discrepancy there. And I see that as a, like, I'm going to take control of this. I'm going to date them anyway. I'm going to date them anyway. I see it with people in their careers and like, just like I was talking about where an opportunity comes up and it's like, well, it's, it's more money and it's more this. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's more hours. It's time away from my family and this and this and this, but it's, it becomes a really logical decision. And so you just elbow God out of the way and say, I'm going to take this job. I don't really care about his input very much. I've seen people with, do this with finances where you're saying, I, I know, I know that God has, has called us as Christians to, to give him the first 10% of what we make and to trust him that we can live on the other 90%. I understand that. However, I'm going to elbow him out of the way and take control because that's a lot of money each month. You know, that's a car note I could be uh, putting towards, a, you know, the car I want to drive or that's a that's student loan money that I, I am going to have to pay it back. That's that that's all, there's all these other things of saying I'm, I'm not going to be faithful with that. I'm going to elbow him out of the way. I'm going to take control because I don't really trust him with uh, that 90 percent. I trust me with the 100 percent. I've seen it. I've seen it with with uh, with all kinds of things from like where you where, where are we going to live? 
I've seen people elbow gotten out of the way. Where are we going to send our kids to school? I've seen them elbow them out of the way. Uh, all, there's, there's all kinds of, of things in life I could go through. And I'm not, this, this is not a kind of thing where I'm like, I need to drop the hammer on the church because we're terrible about this. That's not why I'm saying all this. I'm saying that the potential is there in our lives all the time to throw an elbow to him and to take control. It could be major things. It could be small things. We have a part of Lent is owning up to the fact that we are control freaks. And God, God wants to work in tandem with us. He's not putting us out there on our own, but he doesn't want us to throw elbows at him and push him out of the way. He says, so Jesus says, if you want to come after me, you got to be willing to say no, no to yourself. You got you to say no to being the control freak that you are. Then the second thing is that he says no to his, what his body, what, like his physical desires that are there. Even in extreme hunger after 40 days without food, Jesus rules over his body, not the other way around. Now, to be clear, our bodies are gifts from God. They are intuitive in ways that we cannot even understand or imagine. And we need to listen to our bodies. Okay? So if you... Uh, if you're running fever, that's your body telling you that something is wrong. Okay? If, you are, uh, if you're like dozing off, it means your body's telling you, hey, we need to rest. We need to sleep. Like, that's not, I'm not talking about those kinds of things. I'm talking about like, like when your body, your physical desires uh, be, like, like skyrocket. And there's a part of you, whether it's in your mind or even like physiologically and like hormonally or whatever, however you want to think of it, when your body is telling you something that is not good for you. So we have to remember that when it comes to the, our desires, our bodies are not ultimate. Your body is not the boss of you. Our bodies tell us things, they desire things all the time that are bad for us, don't they? All the time. You can look at something and your body reacts to it. And it's not necessarily because it's good for you. Um, So admittedly, in some areas of life, it's hard to tell who's running the show. You know, I get that. But in 2 Timothy 1, God tells us that he gave us a spirit, not of fear, but one of power and of love and of a sound mind or self-control. In other words... Self-denial is a part of your identity. What Jesus is asking you to do, listen to me on this. What Jesus is asking us to do is not a foreign thing to us. It's a part of who he has made you. He has given you a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, sound mind. Some interpret that self-control. So it is a part of who you are. And so there's, if there's some of you that, that even in thinking in terms of Lent, and you're like, I can't, I can't fast from something for 40 days. Sure you can, because Jesus lives in you. I can't skip lunch on Wednesdays. That's my longest day. Sure you can. It, it's not fun. But you can do it because Jesus is alive and he lives in you. So what he is calling us to do is not this impossible standard. It is this incredibly like real part of who we are that he's saying, hey, you need to put this into practice. Hey, you need to flex this muscle that I've given you. Hey, this needs to become a part of who you are even more. So in other words, in the effort to deny yourself, here's some examples. 
Remember that you don't have you don't have to act on those feelings of sexual attraction. You don't have to act on those. You can refuse that. And if you don't think you can, I want you to keep listening. But you can refuse your body's desire to act on those things. You can. You don't have to yell at your spouse when you're upset. You don't. You can refuse the like fury that rises up within you. You can refuse that. You can. Because Jesus lives in you, you can refuse it. You don't have to make that impulse purchase and dive deeper into debt. You know? Cruising through Amazon, you see that, you're like, oh, buy with one click? Sure. You don't have to do it. You don't. You can refuse that. You don't have to have a drink. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you see, I, I see it on TV and movies and stuff, so I'm assuming it's like a normal thing. People are like, oh man, I need a drink. Today was a long one. Mama needs her wine. <laughs> right? I just, I think my eyeballs actually fell out of my head one day. They rolled so hard when I saw somebody put that on Instagram. Like, it's just, it's one thing if you're like, I, I want this, it would, you know, whatever. But it's like when you're like, oh no, I need it. Do you, come on. If you get to the point where you need a drink, then you need to come and talk to me. I'm serious. You have an unhealthy relationship to that little beverage. If that's, if that's the case. God's given you everything that you need to overcome those desires. Yes. Because the spirit lives within you. If you are a Christian, that is who you are. You can refuse those things. Your body does not rule over you. Now, you might want to push back a little bit and say, well, but Jesus, doesn't Jesus say it's, it's a problem? Even if you don't act on it, it's still a problem that you thought that or felt that way. I would, I would absolutely agree with you. But where do you think that, that maturing and growth, where do you think it starts? Where do you think it starts? It's, it starts sitting in the desert with him. Say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deny what my body is screaming at me. I'm going de- I'm, I'm to refuse to take control of the situation. Uh, I'm going to say no to those things, even though they are raging within me. That's where it begins. It's a process. Jesus models it perfectly, and he will walk you through it, walk me through it, walk us through it. Last two points. These will go a little faster. So that's how he shows us what it means to deny self. What, is it, what do you mean to take up his cross daily? <clears throat> this is, for, for Jesus, taking up the cross, that was his obedient act. One of many. That was this great act of obedience that the Father said, pick up the cross and go and die. And Jesus had literally picked up the crossbar and carried it through the town. And so what he is figuratively saying here is that for you um, and for me and for all of us, there, there are these acts of obedience that God has called us to. 
No matter what it costs us, though, that's the kicker. See, for him, it cost him death. It was his own life, you know. And so what it means to take up the cross is really whatever that is for us, whatever obedience is, I'm going to pick it up today. I'm going to own it today. And I'm going to own it tomorrow. And I'm going to own it the next day. And as long as he has me picking that up, whatever it may be, I'm going to own it. So for Jesus, he's essentially saying, I would rather remain hungry than forsake my father. I would rather uh, remain not out of control, but I would would rather refuse to take control of the situation and deny my body and sit here and remain to be hungry than to look my father in the face and say, I don't really care what you have to say about this. That's what taking up the cross is. I'm going to be obedient. It's almost like he's saying, the Spirit led me here. The Spirit will lead me out of here. You have, you have no place in this. Satan, stones turned to bread, physical desires, control, whatever it is, you say, you, you have no voice in this, really. You think you do, and that's cute, but you don't. Spirit led me here. Spirit will lead me out. So we, it's like, it's like the hymn says, trust and obey. Jesus is going to sit there in the hunger. And so what taking up your cross daily is essentially saying today, I will be obedient. Whatever that looks like, I'm picking it up. I'm trusting him. I'm going to take it with me into the third component, which he says, follow me. Now, Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, follow me. This was an an invitation to live life side by side with Jesus. To become a part of the group of followers who who just went everywhere with him and they watched him and they imitated him and they learned from him and and they were transformed through this relationship. It's it's a being with... So he said, deny yourself, pick up that cross and just just be with me. Let's, Let's walk through life, let's walk through life together. And so bearing that cross of hunger, he stays close to the Lord. Whatever it is for you and for me, bearing the cross of whatever, we, just, we stay close to him. And that's where prayer comes in. That's where the scriptures come in. That's where community comes in, of course. But is, is this bigger picture of I'm going to stay close to him because that's where life is found. What Jesus does, when he, when he quotes man not living by bread alone, he's referencing a passage in Deuteronomy. Let me just r- read the one verse to you. It won't be on the screen. I'm just going to read it. This is the verse he's referencing. And he, and he humbled you and led, and led you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. He's speaking to Israel here. That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, in, in Jewish culture, whenever they reference, they would reference a verse or part of a verse, um, this, the, especially the first five books and the Psalms, they were, they were memorized by the people. So they didn't have to rattle off the whole thing. They just reference a part of it and the entire passage would come to mind. And so by quoting these, like these one-liners, he's really bringing back the whole passage. And the entire passage is essentially um, this big reminder to Israel that, guess what? God never left you alone. He never failed you, not one time. 
You were hungry, he fed you. You needed water, he brought it to you. You needed direction, he gave it to you. It was time to sleep, he slowed you down. Uh, your shoes never wore out. There's, there's all these references to the, the fact that God is trustworthy. And so what he is really saying is, God was with Israel, God is with me. You think I need bread? I don't. I have what I need. It's almost like he's saying the first verse of the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I, I lack no good thing. I lack nothing in my entire life. I'm right where I need to be. You think I need bread? Psh, come on. Try harder next time. Which he does. And so, we simply just remain and we trust the one that we're following. Here Jesus models for us denial of self, saying no no to control, no to what my body desires, no to however you want to think of it. He models for us what it means to say no to that and to pick up obedience and to stay close, trusting the Father. Do you want to know what it looks like? Come sit in the desert with me and I'll show you. That's what, part of what we see. So in wrapping up, I don't know where this maybe uh, hits close to home. But a part of what it means to follow after the rabbi is that in his example, it makes you then look at yourself and say, what do I need to learn? How do I need to grow? How, how do I become more like him? How do I get to be like this one I'm sitting with in the desert? Maybe denial of self hit home. Maybe you've been a control freak lately or your whole life. <laughs> it's okay. But maybe when I talk about elbowing God out of the way, you're immediately like, oh, yeah. Maybe there's a pattern of letting your body rule over you. A pattern that you feel like is unbreakable. Maybe that reminder that the spirit of God lives in you. Therefore, that spirit of self-control is there. You might need help in figuring it out. But maybe denial of self is where it hits close to home with you. Maybe taking up the cross. Maybe that idea of daily obedience. Maybe there's something, something that you know he's been, he's been stirring in you and you've been hesitant to take a step on it. Maybe you've been refusing to. Maybe you think the cost is too much. To be, to be fully obedient. I mean, fully obedient. Maybe, maybe yours is more about following him. Maybe you've just been distant, withdrawn from him. Maybe it's a mixture of all three. Maybe it's nothing. Maybe you're like, dude, that's not why I'm here. I know why I'm here. Okay. Whatever it is, though, that God is stirring in you, uh, I want to encourage you to, to not let it stay uh, in that state of stirring. Let it, let it push you to, to act. Let it push you to pray. Let it push you to just consider some things. This is a season where we are looking at our lives and we're saying, I just want to be more like you. I want to be everything that you died for me to become. And so as he begins to show us, we just need to respond um, with, with, with a yes, whatever that may look like. Our response time here at Living Hope, um, you know, different people have different things going on in the room. We, we don't want to just give you one way to respond. So let me explain a couple of them real quick. And if you've heard this a million times, just hang in there with me. Um, we have, we'll have two communion stations open. We do this every week. 
And those are, like, that is a, a belief that God has given us this meal, this rhythm of life, to remind us that everything, all the grace that we need to move forward, He has offered to us. That Jesus stands on this side of the table offering you His body and His blood. And you take the bread and you dip it in the, in the juice and you take it yourself as a, as a physical reminder that the blood and the body have been given for you. That he is with you. And if you want what he's offering to you, he wants you to have it. You're welcome in our line. If you're, you don't have to be a member here. Uh, you, you, need to be, you need to be someone who has said yes to Jesus and wants uh, to follow him forward. So that's a communion will be an option. Prayer is always an option. Uh, you, can, you may see people come and pray at these steps. You can do that together or individually. Also be some folks on the front row that would love to just pray with you, especially if you are, are not someone who's ever said yes to following Jesus in the first place. If you're like, yeah, I want to talk more about that because I, I don't know if I'm a Christian or not. They would love to talk to you about that. You, there's some giving stations here on the side uh, that you can give. There's prayer requests, you can, cards you can fill out there. And of course, we're going to sing, do some singing together. So you'll see people moving around the room, but a, a part of what that is is that different people and different personalities want to respond different ways, want to give you some, some options. But we have a few minutes together, so let's not worry about what, what happens after the service. Let's, let's steward this time well together. So I ask you to stand. I'm going to pray for us as the band comes back, and we'll just move into those rhythm, that rhythm of responses together. Let me, let me pray for us. Father, I am, uh, I'm grateful that we have this text in front of us and thankful for you, Holy Spirit, in inspiring these authors and making sure that we have these quotes, you know, that we have this account in front of us. Jesus, I'm thankful for your example. Because a lot of times I think I know what self-denial looks like, but I when I think about it in terms of how you did it, it it becomes so much more real. And so whatever is stirring in the room, whether it's connected to these ideas or maybe there's something else, uh, we want to respond to you in spirit and in truth. And so would you help us in these, in these moments uh, to be really present in the room and whatever is best for us, will you lead us to that? If it's communion or prayer or singing or giving, um, you know what we need in these moments. And so as we spend this time making this message and this service personal, just ask that you would have your way uh, in this space. We love you and pray this in your name. Amen. Our communion stations are open. You can come whenever you're ready.